Freaking Pod. I'm Kelly Bright alongside Thomas Aiello, and we are getting down to the best part of the season. We're getting into round two of the playoffs. Thomas, your Knicks and my Celtics are no longer in the picture, but there's still a lot of great basketball to be played and that has been played. A lot of exciting series and also a lot of blowouts, which is interesting for this part of the season. But I want to first start out with that Nets and Bucks series. Nets take a two-game lead after demolishing the Bucks 125-86. to It was a blowout, 39-point blowout. Brooklyn had a 17-point lead after the first quarter and just never looked back. They nearly had a 50-point lead at one point in the fourth. And they did this all without James Harden. So not looking great for the Bucks. Thomas, your first reaction after seeing that game two blowout. Do you hear that construction noise outside of your yeah. house? That That's the Nets wrecking the Bucks. okay? that That's that's what's going on right now. There's a demolition happening of a construction crew, and they're just beating the bottoms off of, off of the deer. I think the main problem here with the Bucks is that every year they come into this into the playoffs with this three-point or dunk strategy. It's like in baseball, the three true outcomes where it's the home run, walk, or strikeout. And it's not working at all because teams just know how to – how to counter that and the Brooklyn Nets who I've been making fun of the whole year for their terrible or below average NBA defense, just put the on, on the Bucks throat and literally didn't let them do anything. Not one player on the team had 20 points. Chris Middleton shot seven of 20. And I, I don't think he should have been paid the way he's been paid. He's not a number two on a championship team. He can be a two on a very good team. And I think the addition of Holiday, while in theory it's good, it, it's not working out. It's, it's not working out. And I also just think the Nets are that good that no one will literally be able to touch them because Kyrie Irving last night goes four for eight from the field. He had 22. Durant had 32 with four threes as well. The Brooklyn Nets shot 50% from range on – 42 attempts they made 21 ridiculous that simply put ridiculous it almost felt like game three of the 1998 finals for the bulls jazz when they held the stockton malone jazz to 54 points and almost and not almost every player on the bulls scored at least once and the nets were two players away from that with chris chioza who actually got in the game and he he didn't score. And DeAndre Jordan, who just doesn't play anymore. But this feels like, to me, this game has confirmed that the, the Nets are going to win the NBA championship. There's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. This game has, has proven this to me already. I'm not even going to hesitate to say it. I mean, they're either going to win or it's going to be very, very hard to beat them. And, and you're right. Nine different players hitting at least one three during that game. And how do you stop this team? I mean, you have three of the best ISO scores in the game. One's out right now, but I, Harden's going to come back. He's just out for hamstring diagnosis. And clearly, they don't need him, so why not take a few games off? And a stockpile of elite shooters. I mean, Mike James was hitting threes. Bruce Brown, who on the last episode I said would come in clutch with his team, continues to show up 
when one of their starters is out, just as he has all season. I mean, he had 13 points, not that exciting, but that's all they need from him. And you mentioned how poorly the Bucks' offense played, and Chris Middleton was one of those players who struggled. And who guarded him all night? Mr. Bruce Brown held him to, he missed his first eight shots and finished seven for 20. Like you mentioned, he scored just 13 points in game one. So this is a Bucks team that has a lot of questions they need to answer. Budenhauser is going to have to go back to the drawing board and try and find an answer because right now they, they really don't have one. I mean, Kevin Durant to me, Kevin Durant looks unstoppable. It didn't matter who they put on PJ Tucker, Drew Holiday, Chris Milton, Giannis, nobody could stop him. He is looking like the player he looked like back before 2019, before he had the Achilles tear. And that's a very dangerous thing, not only for the Bucs, but for the rest of the league, for the rest of the teams that the Nets are going to face in the playoffs. I mean, I, I don't know what the Bucs are going to do, are, are going to have to do to be able to find a way to stop them. And you got to think maybe, maybe home court advantage will give them something, but, but I'm not too confident, especially when their big three, not a single player made over 20 points last night so uh it's not looking good for the bucks and and you mentioned the nets defense i think and it's one of those like chicken and egg questions is the bucks is the bucks offense just that bad or or is the are the nets actually playing good defense i mean this is a team that pretty much spent all of the regular season thinking that defense didn't matter and not even paying paying a peace of mind to it and and now they're looking like the 85 bears i mean they're they're shutting down (laughs) teams that you know in the league and, and they're and they're making it look easy. Steve Nash in the post game said that you know tonight was exceptional. It's been pretty solid throughout the playoffs. We feel like underdogs on defense, relying on heart and connectivity. Now this is a team that certainly doesn't seem like underdogs to any stretch of the imagination. But he has a point. I mean, this is a team where even on this podcast we've questioned their defense all year long, and yet here here we are shutting down a team keeping Giannis and his bucks to 86 points in a playoff game so so Thomas what do you think what's the answer in this situation I think the answer is that we have to go to John Jack Roach to help us because he was at the Barclays Center and Jack is here with us say our Nets beat reporter so maybe he can give us some of the inside scoop on what the Nets were um were up to that evening now, it could be, I'm going to guess here before Jack does say anything, that it was a combination of Kevin Durant magic, where he just decided to, you know what, I'm going to show up today and drop 30 just quietly. Or, as I said before, this Bucks team just isn't that good. So, Jack Roach, if you're there, um, you just joined the Zoom, but we'd like to see you and welcome you onto the show. And I want to, I guess, start with the first question, I guess. When you saw those nets take the floor and then they just come out of the gates firing, uh, what did that signal to you? Does that indicate like this is just going to be a, a sweep? Is this going to be a blowout of a series? Is, is this nets team that good or we think that the Bucks just played that poorly? Well, I think the first thing that really stood out to me was seeing Kevin Durant get five quick free throws early in that first quarter. And I kind of realized, oh, they're not going to be able to guard him tonight. Like, <laughs> they're not going to be able to guard him without fouling or they're not going to be able to stop him from getting to the lane. Um, and when I saw the starting lineup and I saw that Bruce Brown was sliding in for James Harden, um, I guess you do have a bit of doubts. I, I mean, I don't know how you can doubt this offense when you've got Kevin Durant 
and Kyrie Irving, but you're so used to them having James Harden. So um, it's hard not to think of the potential of this lineup, but I think, and you heard this in the post game presser, um, all of his teammates, whether it was uh, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, or Joe Harris were so uh, confident in him and proud of his ability to set screens and really be a defensive presence for them. So this team is really chugging along, even in the absence of James Harden. And, you know, he re-aggravated that hamstring. I think uh, we're going to get some more information on him in the coming days. But if that's what they're capable of doing without him, it's really scary to think of what they can do with him. And, and Jack, how much does this say about Steve Nash as a coach? I mean, this is a team that has the players that, you know, the coach you might kind of goes under the radar doesn't really mean as much, but he's taken a team where he had to handle big personalities, big egos. And he's also taken players, like you mentioned, Bruce Brown, who's obviously I'm, I'm a big fan of, and he, he's just made them into role players and he's really gotten them to buy into the process. Blake Griffin is another example. He's somebody, he's 32 years old and held Giannis to 18 points last night. And, and I think that's a big credit to Steve Nash and how he's been able to, you know, like I just mentioned, get people to buy in. And you got to listen to him in, in the pregame and postgame conference. What do you think this, the way that they're playing now says about him as a coach? I think Steve Nash would be the first person to tell you that this team has really been forced to kind of adopt the next man up mentality. You know, they've dealt with so many injuries throughout the season. I don't have the exact number of different starting lineups throughout the season, but I saw it on Twitter and it was some ridiculous number. Um, And for a team that hasn't seen much of their big three together in the regular season, um, and, you know, adding new players and having, uh, you know, trading players, they've really been able to, I guess, come together in a cohesive way. Um, and, you know, they really are, are forced to adopt that next man up mentality when you're dealing with all, all those different things. Now, Jack, I want to ask you this question because you brought up James Harden. Kelly, you can feel free to hop on this question as well. Well, the James Harden trade, that was that was great. I thought, wow, the Nets are really, really going all in. Given last night's performance, did they do you think both of you, do you think that they really needed to trade for James Harden? Do you think they could have still rolled with Lavert, Allen, uh Prince, um, and keeping that draft capital in the future, maybe to go get someone else that's not James Harden? Do you think that last night showed they really need James Harden? Do you think that any of that was necessary? Or do you think they could have just been, all right, we're going to roll with Levert and Allen and those guys? Jack, I'll let you answer that first. Yeah. (laughs) It's a hard question. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. Um, I mean, I think that, you know, the, the three of us, the four of us, including Chase, uh, could agree that James Harden is probably a, a top 10 player in this league when he's healthy, right? Um, I, I look at the score of last night's game, and I don't think that if you have, uh, you know, the guys on the team that you, you shipped to uh, Houston and Indiana, 
I don't think the score of last night's game changes if you have those guys on the team. I think if you have James Harden on the team, you might be winning by 50, 60 points last night, which is crazy to think about in a playoff game. But I just think that I, I, I don't know how, how you could have anything better. And James Harden's no slouch on defense. I know he gets a bad rap for it, um, but I don't think that the difference between him and Bruce Brown is out of this world like it is the difference on offense between those two guys. Um, I really think that you have to make that trade. You have to make it. And it's the reason why they were the two seed. And I think, you know, as good as they looked last night, I really do think they need him to win a championship. Listen, even if, if even if they didn't need to make this trade, it certainly helped. I mean, look at what this team has done. It's hard to knock them for making that trade when they've been so successful. And maybe, yeah, they have they already have Katie and Kyrie, and we just see we just saw them go off for fifty four combined points. So, you know, they might not need a third superstar, but in the in this type of league, it's really helpful to have a big three. I mean, look at the teams that are left in in this playoff picture, and and the teams with the three the three guys that they can rely on in and out in, you know, night in and night out. Those are the teams that are going to be most successful. And, and I think it's just, it's really helped other guys in the team learn how to play better and learn how to step up when they're needed to. Bruce Brown's a great example. And I mean, I, I think it's going to help. This is only round two of the playoffs. There's still a lot of basketball left to play and I, Harden's coming back. I mean, I mean, yes, Jack said he's going to get us more information on that and, and we're going to learn more about that in the coming days, but I, I, with hamstring tightness, I'm, I'm assuming he's going to be back, back at least for the final. So this team's only going to get better. And that's a really scary thing. Um, but with that, I do want to move on to a different series that just finished up. And that was the Mavs and Clippers series. Clippers won in game seven, 126, 111. Kawhi Leonard finished with almost a triple double, 29 points, 10 rebounds, nine assists and four steals. Paul George, playoff P, he had 22 points, six rebounds, and 10 assists. But really the big star of the night, even though it was for a losing team, was Luka Doncic, who tallied a playoff career high 46 points, along with seven rebounds and 14 assists. He averaged 35.7 points, 10 assists, and 7.9 rebounds in the second postseason ever, becoming the youngest player in NBA history to do that in a playoff series at the age of 22. So, Thomas, I'm going to go to you first. Jack, feel free to jump in on the conversation at any point. This Clippers team, you know, they are proving haters wrong. I mean, they got so much, so much criticism last year for how they played and blowing that 3-1 series lead, collapsing in the second round to the Nuggets. And now here they are, and they have overcame a 2-0 hole, and they came across a 3-2 deficit against the Mavs, and now they're going to make it into round two. And uh, I don't know if you want to credit that to Ty Lue. You want to credit that to Kawhi finally showing up in game seven. But this Clippers team, how are, are they legit contenders for the championship? Are the Clippers, are the Clippers um, capable of winning a championship this season? Are they capable of winning a championship? I'm going to go with, with no. And the only reason I'm going to say no is because if they do make it to the finals, they're going to run into the Nets. And the Nets are going to, as I just, as we just said on the show, they're going to just beat the living, you know, what out of everybody because they're that good. 
And that's nothing to take away from the Clippers. I mean, if they get to the finals, that is a humongous achievement for that franchise because they've never been there. But if you're going to be running into Brooklyn, mm-mm. I mean, you're just, you're just asking for it at that point. However, Luka Doncic, I have here, I have here a pair of Air Jordan Retro 10s. And on the back is Michael. Luka, it's time. It's time. It's time to become the best player. You got you to gotta not turn into this guy, but you have to be the best player. It's time. He's, gonna, he's going to become the best player in the middle of next season. He, he, he might already be the best player if you really want to go that far. I mean, 49-point triple-double in the playoffs or close to it, and he averaged over 35 shooting on pretty good percentages, I would say, for what he was asked to do, which is – Oh, shoot the ball every other possession from half court and then drive to the basket and hope other people shoot threes for what Luca did is quite incredible considering it was pretty much a one man tank job, uh, not tank job, but he was a one man army, I guess is the word I'm looking for. He he's just a sensational player. He from playmaking to just bullying defenders out of the way to shooting threes. He needs to work on the free throws. That's obviously a glaring issue because he he went 50%, I think it was in game four in Dallas, and that kind of cost them. I thought at that point, it was like, right, this is going to cost them a series because missing these free throws is, it's going to add up at some point. And it did because they eventually did lose. But the real problem here with the Mavs team is Kristaps Porzingis is just I was so say, bad. Is there's a problem or is it the supporting cast? I, I, th- I think it's just a combination of both because – Kristaps Porzingis, or as I refer to him as number six, or Tingus Pingus. So I have many names for this guy. He's he's he really isn't that good. He's he's been exposed. And people, when he was on the Knicks, I was a, certainly a Porzingis defender. I said this guy is so good. He Max Kellerman, and he said he could be the best player. And then I realized, wait a second, Max Kellerman doesn't actually know what he's talking about. And then he gets traded to Dallas. He comes off of the knee injury. And then he looks horrible. And I go, wait a second. We, th- this was the guy that we thought was going to save the Knicks? He can't, he can't even save himself at this point. It's, it's just that bad. And Poor Zingas. I, I feel bad, but I, I also did say, I think a, a long time ago, that he might be damaged goods. And that, that might be the new reality of, of him. So if they want to give Luca help, if they want to try and move Porzingis, I mean, good luck. I don't know how much you can get for him that's out there right now. They're, they're literally, if they do keep this team intact, they're a Michael Finley away from really making some noise in the West. And they could challenge a team like the Clippers, or you want, they can challenge the Nuggets, the Suns, and there's a lot of teams. So I think they have to understand what they're going up against and they have to make the necessary moves to do it because some of the moves they made were not that good this year, but there is always room to improve. All right. So I, I just want to know what to react to first. Uh, calling Luka Doncic the best player. In the well, game. he is. Uh, he is. Chris Porzingis or about the Clippers? What, what, what should I talk about? Go, go Chris Porzingis. I, I like this conversation. I think there's some hot takes to be had. 
I mean, he averaged 20 points and nine rebounds during yeah. the regular season in, in what he did play. And listen, you're a Knicks fan. I get it. You know, you're, you're upset about it. But I'm upset. Yeah, you're upset. I'm you're, upset. I'm happy. He's looking. He stinks. He can't perform in the playoffs. He does not stink. Okay. I remember talking to you about this series as it was going on. And you said, oh, wow. I don't think that he's healthy. And I understand that that is the question. That will always be the question. But imagine how good he could be if he was healthy. That's true. I don't think it's his ability to perform. I think it's just he's never been healthy. And that's really upsetting. But I think if he ever found a way to stay healthy, him and Luca could be a really great combo. With that being said, how could you call him the best player in the league if he hasn't won a single playoff series? He, he drops 49, 13, and 10 in the playoffs, Jack. Who, who else is doing that? The, like, you watch the Mavs games, it literally looks so easy for him to just do anything he wants. He's, he's given ultimate freedom. I, how is he not the best player at this point? I, I, I get that LeBron... And your whole not healthy thing. You're right. Okay. You're right. I don't know if Porzingis is hundred percent healthy. I'll give, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there and LeBron too. But like, yeah, Luke is certainly better than Giannis. I think he's probably better than Kevin Durant. I, I, I would not better than Kevin Durant. You're I don't crazy. know. It, I think you can go either way with that one. That you watched the same game me. that I did last night. Did you watch that? Nets? I did. Game? I oh did. I was, I was terrible. Listen. I mean, I still think Durant's the better at this point. But if we're going to go down the road, I want to say, let's fast forward. Uh, what is it? June right now. Let's go like Christmas of this year. Let's say we can go that far. I think Doncic will, you know, it will be marginally he jumps. But I feel that just given how good he is and how he carries the Mavs, there's no way you can't not put him in that discussion at this point. Listen, I agree. I agree with both of you to an extent. Listen, Luca played 45 minutes in game seven, didn't exit the floor once in the second half. He set a record for most points created in a game seven, 77 points. He is their guy. He is their playmaker. He is the only reason that they were as in that series as they were. And he really did not have help. And you mentioned Porzingis not being healthy. Well, I think that's a problem. Isn't that something we talk about with players in this league? Is there durability? Is there is there a bit ability to stay healthy? I mean, look at Anthony Davis. He's made of glass, and, that, and that's been a problem for the Lakers all season. And this is a player who's just who's played in 148 regular season games in four seasons. I mean, getting hurt is a problem. And he's also, he's 7'3", and he has, like, basically one post move. He struggled in the low post, and that's been a problem for them. He, he's 7'3", and he struggles in the low post. That's an issue. He averaged 13.1 po- points for them, 1.3 assists. He shot less than 30% from three. You know, he's not helping this team. And I, I think I think Luca needs help. No matter how good you are in this league, LeBron needs help. Kevin Durant needs help. It can't be a one player does it all. That's not realistic anymore. So I think I don't think Luca's better than Kevin Durant. I don't even think he's better than LeBron James. I do think he's a top 10 player in this league, but uh, he he needs help. And that's something that this team is really gonna have to go into the offseason and and do. I mean. They, the Mavericks haven't won a series since winning the 2011 NBA Finals. That's a decade's worth of not getting wow. past the first round of the postseason. And only two of the team's 10 players who played in Game 7 were acquired after January 2019. 
They haven't made moves. This is basically the same team that they had when they added Luka Doncic. So if you really want to build around Luka, if he's really your guy, you need to start making moves. You need to look at who's going to be available in the offseason. Find some 3 and D guys. Find bench depth. Get yourself, get, yourself, get yourself some low post help. Get another playmaker. Do something because, like Thomas said, Luka, Luka is showing out for them. He's doing everything he can. He just needs help, and somebody needs to give it to him, or he's going to be out of there. He's going to look for another team. I'm going to move on, and I want to talk about another Western Conference series. And actually, before I do that, I want to talk about the Western Conference because if you look at who's left in this playoff uh, picture, not one remaining West team in a conference that features both LeBron James and Steph Curry has ever won the NBA championship. And none have even reached the NBA finals out of the West since 1998. The Suns, they made it last in 1993. So this is an interesting and unique Western Conference picture that we haven't seen in a long time. And two of those teams, the Suns and the Nuggets, have played one game. Phoenix, Phoenix took game one, 122-105. And this is an interesting matchup. Two teams that haven't been relevant in a long time, but have, very, have been very relevant this year. The Suns, we've talked about them a lot in the show. Andrew Posada's huge Suns supporter. Um, but, you know, you're looking at this picture, looking at, looking at this matchup, Thomas, I'm going to start with you. Who do you see? What's your, what's your prediction? Just give me your prediction and why for this matchup, two teams that we don't talk a lot about in the show, but I think have both very interesting uh, lineups and threats, especially uh, with some of their guards on both those teams. Well, I, I'm starting to think that this is going to be a very hard fought series. It's going to be very back and forth. Now, the first three and I want to say thirds of the game last night were definitely the most exciting. Okay. In quarter one, we saw DeAndre Ayton just obliterate the rim. Michael Porter Jr. had a wild play. And then Jay Crowder had a four point play in the first quarter. So I already knew like this is going to be a heck of an entertaining series because both of these teams are as equally matched as I think that they are. They're opposites. They're complete opposites and some and opposites attract in, in science. So um, I guess we can start with the Suns because their team is all a little smaller, more on speed, more on three-point shooting. That's what they rely on. And of course, you have Aiton in the middle who just has been dominant in the playoffs. In round one, he, he was amazing versus the Lakers. And last night, he had 22 and 10. He could have, I think he had a little bit more than that. But him and Jokic going at it, classic bigs matchup. And then you have the, the Nuggets who are a little bit taller, a little bit slower, but they know how to pass the basketball and utilize their lack of athleticism with smarts and uh, being, being very clever into the driving lanes. And, of course, everything runs through Nikola Jokic, who's clearly the MVP, the runaway MVP, I thought, by the All-Star break. And you know what? I think this is going to come down to two things. Number one, it's going to come down to the Nuggets bench. Because if you look at the Nuggets bench, Paul Millsap, uh, Will Barton's on the way back, um, P.J. Dozier, who was a NCAA tournament hero a couple of years ago. They have Compazzo. I don't even know who who that guy is. He just kind of showed up. And this guy's awesome. They have Austin Rivers and uh, Monte Morris. So there's all these weapons off the bench. It's almost like an NBA starting lineup if you really look at it that way. And then for me, for the Suns, Mikael Bridges is the X factor. The way he can play off ball defense. Now I'm the only crazy person to notice this because I watch, I enjoy watching people play off ball defense for reasons known only to me. Mikael Bridges 
plays incredible off-ball defense. The way he denies passing lanes, the way he uh, just denies people to cut to the rim. He knows how to use his body. He knows how to like put his hands on defenders and grab and hold and get away with it. And then he just hits open threes on the other end. And he incredibly long as a defender, and he's that's always great. So I think he's going to really be the X factor because if Michael Porter Jr. is going off, I mean, other than Jay Crowder, Mikael Bridges is going to be on him, and that's probably the most well-equipped person to stop him. So those are what's going to come, what they're going to come down to: the Nuggets bench and Mikael Bridges. And if you ask me to pick right now, who's going to win? I I don't have an answer for you. It's just, it's like this. I I can't I can't pick anyone right now. I need to see some more. I think that, you know, obviously this Nuggets team is missing Jamal Murray, mm-hmm. um, who was having a great season before he went down with his injury. Um, and you can talk about how well-constructed this Suns team is um, and all the help they get from guys like Mikhail Bridges, one of the, you know, the best defenders in the league right now. Um, and, you know, DeAndre Aiden is kind of proving or at least showing what made him the number one pick uh, a couple of years ago. But to me, I can't help but just looking at the Suns guards and Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And then looking at the Nuggets guards and seeing Austin Rivers and Facundo Campaza. Um, and I, I don't mean that as a slight towards these guys because they're NBA players and they deserve to be there. But, man, you got two of the best guards in this league. I, I just don't know how they're going to – I I don't think that the Nuggets are capable of winning this series. I think that the Suns are going to run away with it. No, I agree with uh, I agree with Jack, and you know you just look at this team. The culture in Phoenix is so strong. Sixty percent of the Suns' starting lineup entered the postseason with zero playoff experience, and yet Devin Booker, Carl Bridges, DeAndre Ayton, all you guys you've all mentioned, they they're playing like they are veterans, and and they are showing up game in and game out. And like you mentioned, Jack, I just think roster to roster, this Suns team is significantly more talented uh, than Denver, and I think a big part of all that goes to the coach and Monty Williams, but. I want to I want to wrap up the show by talking about the coach of the year for the 2020-2021 season it was just announced. Tom Thibodeau for the New York Knicks wins his second NBA coach of the year award. He earned it first in the 2010-2011 season with Chicago. It was a close race. Monty Williams, who I just mentioned, actually had more first place votes, but Thibodeau finished with more overall points. Thomas, I'm gonna let you have I'm gonna let you talk on this first, but first I want to go to a soundbite soundbite from Tibbs himself talking about winning this award and what it means to him and his team. It's an honor to obviously receive this award. Uh, and I think this award reflects more of our group and our team and organization. Anytime someone gets recognized individually, it's usually a byproduct of the team winning and exceeding expectations. All right, Thomas, I'm, I'm going to let you go off because I, I know it's been a long time coming for you to have something to celebrate with this New York Knicks team. So talk about what it means to you as a Knicks fan to have Tom Thibodeau come away with this award. Well, um, it's definitely shocking. I, at first I was just, I was just hit with it and I just didn't know how to react. And then I told my dad uh, that he won coach of the year and he just started, we started jumping up and down like little kids. Cause we were that excited. This is the first time that they really have done anything in, what is it 20 years now 
So it's refreshing to see. And he also joined some very elite company uh, as Knicks coaches to win the award. Red Holtzman in 1970, coaching the great Clyde Frazier and Willis Reed. And 1993, Pat Riley with the Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley team. Uh, when Spike Lee got bullied by Scottie Pippen uh, when he was tra- talking trash to him in those conference finals. So Pippen bullied poor Spike Lee, but Pat Riley walked away with coach of the year. And now Tom Thibodeau in an era that holds people like Rick Carlisle, Mike Budenholzer, Nick Nurse. Um, I, you can argue Eric Spolstra, who's a really good coach. He walked away with the award and Monty Williams, like you just said, who a lot of people thought was going to be the coach of the year because Phoenix had a, a massive turnaround. But the Knicks, I thought was, and this could be me being biased. It was, a, it was a little bit more impressive, I thought, with the roster that they had. I mean, you had a team compro- composed of Alfred Payton, Reggie Bullock, uh, whatever was left of Taj Gibson, Julius Randle, who was the most hated person in New York last year, a young R.J. Barrett, and then you added a bunch of bunch of draft picks. I mean, hey, that's that's pretty good considering what what they get out of them. And if you listen to the soundbite and the whole press conference, in fact, I think you guys will notice Tom Thibodeau was thanking everyone except himself. So I think that says a lot about who he is as a person. And I'm, I'm very proud that the coach of my team won an award. And you know what? This, hopefully this is a sign of good things to come. Please do not, please do not mess it up. Please, I'm begging you, please don't mess it up. It was, it was very well-deserved. I mean, you mentioned just the turnaround for this team. Yeah, they, they had 21 and 45 last season. They're finishing fourth in the Eastern Conference, winning a playoff game, finishing 41 and 31. The turnaround was just impressive. And, and I, I think, like you mentioned, how he speaks about the team, how he speaks about himself. He's a great guy. And I, and I think he's a big reason why the culture is there in New York and why, you know, just the atmosphere there has changed so much. And, you know, I'm not a Knicks fan, but I, I work with a lot of Knicks fans. So I hope for your sake, and all the other WFUV guys who love the Knicks, anyone else who listens to the show who's a Knicks fan, I hope that this is the beginning of a new era in Knicks basketball. And on that note, I'm going to close out this episode. It's been another great episode of Pick and Pod. Can't wait for next week. Playoff basketball. It doesn't get better than that. Thomas has been great as always. Jack, thanks for joining the show. I'm Kelly Bright. Pick and Pod is production of WFUV Sports.